welcome to Chapter Tactics. This is the 40k podcast that focuses on playing warmer 40k competitively at all levels of the game. I am your host, the one, the only, Mr. PD Pob, or the Rhino, as some people call me. You can also call me Pablo from Frontline Gaming, and Fatty, if you knew me in third grade. Uh, you can call me whatever you want. I'm here every week, usually, uh, co-hosting chapter, or hosting Chapter Tactics. Um, anyways... With me, I've got three wonderful co-hosts. We're going to be talking about how to evaluate codexes, codices, however you pronounce it. First, I brought Mr. Brandon Grant, someone who's uh, read uh, many a codex. I would hope so, and I'm glad to be here. <laughs> uh, and then I brought uh, someone who has been killing it lately on the codex reviews uh, world, in the codex reviews world, whatever that world is, Adrian from Tabletop Titans. <laughs> What's up, everyone? And then finally, I brought on the man, the myth, the meta Monday legend, Skyri from Scardcast. You saved the best for last. Thank you. Thank you. I have returned. All right. So <laughs> if you clicked on that title, you know what that this episode's all about. Basically, we all open a codex brand new. You smell that delicious fragrance of the book you know, wafting in your nostrils, and then we all immediately turn to a completely different part of the book. Every single person I've ever met has gotten a new codex and turns to a very specific thing that I never would have turned to first. I don't think I've ever seen anyone immediately start from the beginning of the book and then read it all the way through. And so that led me to think, we all look at a codex differently. We all evaluate it differently. If you look at the different codex tutorials and the different codex reviews, just for the Space Marine and Necron codex, which came out just this week, everyone attacks them differently. Some people, you know, holistically look at them. Some people focus on stratagems. Some people focus on the units, specifically the good units, uh, or whatever. There, there's a ton of different ways to look at and evaluate a codex. But I think we all we're all looking for essentially the same thing. And that's, what is the power level of this codex going to be in comparison to every other faction in 40k? And then depending on where that codex gets released or when it gets released, you know, we look at it differently, right? If it was uh, released at the beginning of an edition before every other codex, we start to look at how it'll compare to the edition as a whole. Definitely you compare it to the codex it's been released for, which, you know, feels really bad for factions that got released with Space Marines the last couple of years, Necrons included, which we'll talk about. Uh, but also, but also, you know, if it was released at the end of the edition, uh, that adds another level that people look for and that how does it compare to every other codex and will this codex last uh, when the next edition inevitably comes? Uh, because GW has been stepping up their edition cues. Uh, so anyways, there's a lot to miss there. And there's a lot to there's a lot of information to download there, and that's why every every time a codex comes out, tons and tons of people come out with reviews and talk about the codex and everyone kind of has an opinion on it so that's what we're going to do we're going to talk about how we personally evaluate a codex's power level what we look for in the codex what specific rules units uh, guidelines things that things that we immediately want to see that you know make us happy or not uh, when we open up a codex uh, and i'm just going to start right off the bat with just a round table question starting with brandon when you get a brand new Games Workshop Codex that is in a faction that is relevant to you. What is the first thing you do when you crack that Codex up, and what are the things you look for immediately, right off the bat? Uh, well, if I'm reading it for fun, I actually am one of those people who will read it from front to back. 
Oh, um, but the opening moves that I want to start looking for is to kind of see patterns in um, unit abilities and things like stratagems, things like um, regiment bonuses, things like warlord traits, psychic powers, relics. So I want to start looking for combos and trends. So, for example, if we're t- discussing the guard codex, it's a combined arms style list because you'll see that. Um, all the abilities and all of the regiment bonuses, um, they all tend to be focused on the shooting phase and in different ways that can help your list in a way that has to work together in synchrony. So, for example, um, if you're having trouble with units out of line of sight, there's stuff available that buffs your indirect fire and so on and so on. So you're starting to look for very broad 10,000 foot view stuff where especially when you've been playing for a long time, you can look at a warlord trait and go, whoa, that's going to be really powerful. I wonder how I can use that. And it can immediately start pushing your army building and ideas in a certain direction. Um, So you're starting to look for these critically powerful abilities that you can start building list ideas around. Oh, that's that's actually uh, something I didn't think about. That's something I catch on later. Maybe that's why you're a much better player than I am, Brandon. Uh, but same question on to Adrian. Uh, what's the first thing you do when you get a codex that is relevant to you faction-wise? So, so faction you love, that you like to play? Yeah, so whenever I get a new codex, the very first thing I do, as soon as I crack that book open, is I smell that brand new smell. That oh man, you took smell. those words right out of my mouth, buddy. <laughs> that's literally, I was like, oh, that's not what I do. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So that's the first thing. That's the most important thing. But the second thing is I'm open it right up to the stratagems page. Um, and very much what, what uh, Brandon was saying was, uh, I'm looking for synergies. I'm looking for how the units are meant to be played, how the units are meant to work together. And there's the base profile, but sure, at that point, I generally kind of know what they do. But what I'm really interested in is, okay, what's the next level? How do we synergize? What units work well with each other? Things like that. So so that's generally the, the first thing I, I look at once I've opened it. Um, with, funny enough, this, this these latest Codex releases, the first time I've not opened that page, this time I went through and I looked at every single instance of the core keyword for the yep. exact same reason. Um, just I'm looking for synergies. I'm looking for what gets buffs, things like that. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, and, and if you look at... Uh, sorry, Scaria, I'm, I'll let you answer the question in a second. But if you look at the just the Necron Codex and the Space Marine Codex mm-hmm. and the core keyword, there's a huge disparity there. I believe the Necron Codex only has five core units. It's I think massive. Maximum. Yeah. yeah it, but what is the Space Marines? It feels like every irrelevant old Marine unit got the core keyword, and then a couple of really good, multiple really good Primaris core keyword units uh, got the core keyword as well. Uh, although, I actually like the Necron buffs, the Necron buffs to the core keyword, a little better than the Space Marine buffs. I feel like Necrons get some really, really cool stuff, and maybe that's just because Necrons need the buffs a little bit more, um, but it really, it really, really feels uh, strangling when, when you're building a list and you're looking at how the best buffs in the Necron Codex just only apply to like four or five units. It really does. And I was wondering, you know, we'll see, this is obviously just the beginning of ninth edition, but um, like you said, it's so prevalent in this, in the Space Marines Codex. And it's like, cool. Well, is this like the Space Marine um, identity, right? Their army is largely core. Are we going to see that more often or is everyone else going to be more like uh, the Necrons? All right, Skari. After you read that book, what is this? Or after you smell that book, excuse me, what is that? Yeah, second you have to, thing you open you it, you wait for the crack in the spine, right? Because that's literally like the same sound every single time. And then you 
take it all in, but you know, you've ruined that moment for me now. Um, <laughs> no, it's so what I do is I tend to go and look at something that was very big in the meta in the previous iteration of the book and see how or if that has changed. So a lot of the time, something like aggressors, right? Because they can usually like double shoot and all this stuff and whatever. You know, I'd go to the aggressors and kind of see if that's going to be about the same as it has been in the future, right? Like in terms of uh, looking, especially if it's a codex that I'm that I'm like learning and it's not necessarily like a specific codex for me. If it's a specific codex for me, I'll usually go almost right away to like the points and see if the list that I'm running at the moment changes a lot. Okay. Yeah. And uh, actually, so um, I'm going to talk about what, what I do. And it's actually very similar to you, Skari. And, and I actually think that it's what a lot of people do. Um, you know, not all of us are, uh, you know, analysts, people who, who are looking, you know, competitive players looking for the cream of the crop. Um, what I do and what I think I think the majority of people do is they look at the units and the things that are most relevant to them. So specifically what I do after I crack open that book and smell it is I look, I turn towards, like for the Space Marine Codex, for instance, I immediately looked at the Eliminators. I looked at, um, I have a beautifully painted bike captain with a Thunderhammer Storm Shield. I looked at that. Uh, I looked for rules relevant to Gilliman. Um, but I, I looked at uh, Aggressors. I looked at models that I, I already owned and that I enjoyed, uh, you know, using. Uh, specifically painted models, right? So I looked at, like, the Thunderfire Cannon, I looked at whirlwinds. I looked at stalkers. I looked at basically every relevant unit that I had, and I immediately started trying to build a list with those units. I didn't look at anything else, <laughs> um, which I think maybe maybe isn't the best way to go about it. Uh, but it, for me, it's like my first natural impulse. And so this brings me to my second question and my the moving on transition to the second part of this uh, kind of topic is: What do you do when you don't know what your codex is? Right, you don't know the faction. It's a new faction, or uh, it's it's a faction that you don't necessarily play a lot. But your opponent, you know, they they brought this faction, and you're like, okay, well, I guess I gotta learn, you know, how to how to play against Necrons in your opponent's deployment phase. Um, and so I did this with the Necron Codex. So there's a reason why uh, I, I bought I, I bought into Necrons. I've always wanted to. Um, they finally got me with all the cool models in the Indominus box. And it, it felt kind of like Kismet because the Indominus box came with Necrons and Space Marines, and I already play Space Marines. And so I opened up that Necron Codex, and a faction that I probably knew the least amount uh, before, um, I immediately looked at it, and the first thing I did was I went to the Silent King. So I still did it. I still, except instead of a model that I owned, it was a model that I really wanted to play. So, question to you three. What do you do when when it's a codex that you're unfamiliar with, it's a, co- a faction that you're unfamiliar with, it's a brand new, maybe it's even like, you know, at a tournament. And I know, I know that, that, you know, you probably, the right thing is to say, like, you should always be prepared and you should know every codex. And, and yeah, that's true. I think that's kind of what sets apart the best players from the, the legend players, the, like the most amazing players. It's one of those, you know, key things. But uh, the reality is, is that you're going to run into a tournament where you're going to have to very quickly evaluate you know, what's good and what isn't good in a codex and the rules for units and models and for factions, uh, you know, on the spot, you know, whether it's like a supplement or a codex and a faction or whatever. So uh, this time starting with Skari, Skari, you've got a brand new unknown faction or codex. 
Um, you don't necessarily have to break it down quickly, but what do you what are you looking for immediately in a, a faction you're unfamiliar with? So a lot of the times I'll look at, you know, ways that that faction interacts with the different phases of the game in a lot of ways. So I'll be looking at, um, like, I'll be going through stuff that I know and or hear based on the fact that I play the game a lot. So, oh, uh, you know, this is a good thing or that's a good thing. Has this changed? Has that changed? Or I'll take, like, a meta list and sort of, like, put it into, like, the new format or whatever, right? And I'll, I'll see if, like, the main meta list has changed. And it's one of the things about playing on a consistent basis is you sort of learn a lot about like what is and or what is not good um just by proxy by just being around it a lot and um and i'll go to like you know and i'll literally i'll spend the time i'll sit down i will go over everything you know it is my job to know so that's kind of what i do i literally like go through everything i comb through all the units i comb through special abilities and warlord traits and i take the time to learn that book and it's probably not something everybody can do but you if you've been playing your army you know what's going to affect you and what isn't or what units in that army you know or you've heard of and are scary to you based on like your previous experiences so you can quickly go and like make a judgment call on the fly almost to be like um, this unit is normally really, really scary for me. Does, like, has that changed, basically? Um, you know, what other things are going to be sort of like, you know, giving me, like, that red flag is going to go off in my head, right? But it's more of a judgment call than anything. All right, Adrian, same question. All right, so there's really two situations I'm thinking of, and I'll try to be relatively quick about it. But one is, like you said, uh, in a tournament setting, um, and this happens a lot where I'm playing someone. I might, I generally, I might know there's like a trick that they can do, right? And so I'll say, oh well, I'm playing Space Wolves or something, and I know they have a way to intercept my units, but I don't know how it works. So I'll try to jump there and to and to look very very carefully at the specifics, right? What are the, the restrictions and conditions that they ha that they need to do their trick? Um, so while I'm not really familiar with the codex overall, if I have some sense of, okay, I need to look up this one rule and know this rule so I can stop that precondition or make sure they're meeting it, that's, that's something that happens uh, in tournaments with me a lot. Um, but if I'm just picking up a book, like I just, you know, picked up Sisters recently, I didn't know that much about them. Um, I start with uh, the let's say chapter tactics, but you know that the general what is what are their faction abilities and what are the the chapter specific abilities? Because this very quickly says it gives me a sense of how the army wants to play, what do they get innately, and and there's a lot of assumptions in there that when other people play that faction, they just know they just assume it. it's like oh yeah whatever I'm you know um, martyr lady or whatever, um, and so I was like oh these are all the things that everyone assumed I knew and I didn't actually know so. Those are kind of the two very different situations, um, and, and how would I actually approach approach them very often? Yeah, and and uh, Brandon, before we get to you, uh, Adrian, to kind of to kind of piggyback on that, th there are generally with each codex, you know, a few strategies, stratagems, relics, units that everyone gravitates towards, mm -hmm. uh, and and I think it's important that that you you as a player, as a forty k player that you at least are aware of all of them, right? So if right. you look at Space Marines, even though there's so much good in that book, you need to know that Late Guard veterans, they're super points efficient. They're going to go in, they're going to be able to uh, punch up or, or uh, I guess, slash up 
um, you know, at things that higher than their points cost. They're going to be able to take out, you know, bigger things, maybe even knights in some cases. Uh, you need to know specifically how they can um, take advantage of their doctrines, which ones are good, which stratagems and units work well in the tactical and the assault doctrine, uh, because those are the more powerful doctrines, specifically the tactical doctrine, where uh, you can, Space Marines can do a lot of it. There's, there's a lot of stuff. Um, and then if you look at like uh, Necron Codex, right? So I know there's like a third of your Space Marine players. So we're going to talk about the Necron Codex instead, because we all know what's good in the Space Marine book. So with Necrons, you need to know what their best Warlord trait is. They don't have a lot of good ones, they, but they do have the ability to reroll charge rolls, and they have plus one charges somewhere in the book. It, it's a dynastic code, but you don't need to know that. All you need to know is plus one charge, uh, and they have the ability to give any character reroll charge rolls. So that means that there's potential for bombs. Sure enough, you have a unit like Lichguard. Lichguard, they blender things. They have a high strength value, high AP value, a decent damage value, and their core. So you know that with the with their one of their best relics, which is the transdimensional gateway thingy. I, I don't know. It's transdimensional something. They have the ability to deep strike, so they can conceivably charge you turn one or turn two. They can deep strike with plus one to charge with reroll charge rolls. Uh, scary melee unit, and that's that's something that you that you would know if you had known all those very specific the best things about the Necron Codex, um, and then just go from there. Uh, you know, go through the best units. You should probably know what the Silent King does. Uh, you're going to see him a lot. Um, I, actually, I shouldn't say that. You're going to see him in a lot of Necron lists. You're probably not going to see him a lot, but I think the chances of you seeing a Silent King if you play tournaments, you, you know, on average, like, which is the average player, how many player tournaments the average player attends, I think you're going to see at least one Silent King. Uh, he's just such a cool model. So you need to know what he does. Uh, and then kind of just repeat that with every other codex as well. And I'm sorry, Brandon, I, I, I kind of went off into the weeds there. No, so, you're actually talking about a lot of stuff I wanted to touch on. Because, oh, yeah, so then go ahead. Um, when you're looking at all those specific units, that is the next step after you take the 10,000-foot view and you start figuring out, okay, this combo seems good, but how exactly good is it? Um, so you start looking at things like, okay, if I fail to eliminate that Lich Guard unit, how many multi-meltas does my Space Marine squad have to shoot into it before it will go away? And you're like, oh, oh, wow, this unit's extremely efficient. I need to figure out ways to get rid of this that are more efficient. Maybe I just need to get rid of it in melee because my shooting will never be efficient enough. And you start understanding more practically, when I see this unit on the table, I shouldn't even try options one, two, and three. I need to go straight to options four and five on how to deal with this. Um, another idea might be, um, I don't know. Should I take a Space Marine Devastator Squad or a Predator? Um, well, you think, okay, well, I expect Bladeguard veterans, and I want to load out my Devastators or Predator to deal with them. So you start, in my case, making Excel spreadsheets that start becoming sprawling, number-crunching <laughs> machines that tell you the points efficiency per turn and how many Bladeguard veterans each of those units is going to remove. So offensively, you get a better idea of which units are the most effective in the shooting phase or the charge phase or uh, the combat phase, maybe even the psychic phase. You can figure out, oh, I should take an Astropath if I want to use the I can't believe it's not Smite spell instead of the Primaris Psyker because he's more points efficient, even though the spell is less likely to get off. Um, and you start figuring out, okay, 
this unit that I bring, it's sort of like a Death Star. I can expect it to absorb this amount of punishment before it goes down. And if I add this Relic, this Warlord trait, and this Psychic Power, it's going to be even tougher by this amount. Um, and you start understanding some of the math inherent in things, like if I add a Chapter Master reroll to a Lieutenant, I double the firepower of a unit sometimes, um, depending on you know if you have exploding sixes to hit or something. So those are the kinds of things you need to dig into second is the nitty gritty. So you understand if I charge my sister's repentia squad into a seer council with a three plus invulnerable save, I should remove five of them if I'm fully buffed. And that's important. So you wouldn't charge if the unit has nine models left, but maybe if it has three models, you say, okay, I should be able to get rid of them now. Um, so that way it informs your decisions on the table in what you consider to be possible, and it helps inform your decision-making in a way that you'll be more likely to succeed when you ask your toy soldiers to perform a task for you. Yeah, I mean, knowing just knowing math in general like that uh, with quick analysis helps out so much, right? So if you look at a codex for the first time and you see that you know a unit can put out 30 strength 5 AP 2 one damage shots, you're like, oh, th this unit can can pretty reasonably kill, you know, most infantry models, most basic troop choices, uh, specifically Primaris Marines. Can, uh, maybe not maybe not specifically, maybe well, yeah. two, I don't know. Maybe that maybe unit two. is... Strength 5 AP2. You can start doing math and say, my Strength 5 AP2 one damage weapon versus Primaris Marines versus a Strength 5 AP1 two damage weapon versus Primaris Marines. Which one is better? What if the Primaris Marines are in cover? Um, what if the Primaris Marines have a 6-plus feel no pain? Um, then you can start figuring out all those situations and really uncovering the nitty-gritty of how each of your weapon options and enemy weapon options, for that matter, interact with your models. Yeah. Now, this brings me to the final question of this topic before we move on. Uh, so how how important is it to you all when evaluating a codex for the first time is the meta, the current meta to you? So for instance, if you were look at a codex, how much do you weigh a codex's ability to kill and deal with blade guard veterans, outrider squads, eradicators? And I'm using them as examples because they're 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 the golden standard right now for what Space Marine players are bringing, and Space Marine players are the golden standard for factions. So, but in previous editions, like in seventh edition, you would need to you know you need to be able to deal with jet bikes, you need to be able to deal with screamer stars with you know bark stars, etc. And eighth edition, obviously, depending on when the edition was, you need to deal with the Castellan or Space Marine lists. So, how much do you evaluate the current meta, the the hot flavor of the month, um, and how Codex can deal with it? And I'm gonna start with Adrian this time. Yeah. So let's see. If it's if it's super flavor of the month, I generally won't worry too much about it, but it is a big factor overall. Um, doubly so now that in Ninth Edition you have to have all your spells, artifacts, warlord traits, everything on your uh, army sheet, right? You have to be prepared for every situation. You can't just say, oh, I'm going to adapt and pick something that's useful at the table. Um, and so that is a big, big part of when I look at units, you know, uh, even things like the new Space Marine gladiators. Cool. Ton of firepower, not core, unfortunately, but a ton of firepower. They're interesting. The RT8. But there's these guys, I don't know if you've heard about them, they're eradicators, and they will kill any vehicle that they feel like it, <laughs> you know? Um, so I say, okay, well, that's a big, big reason not to take 
those vehicles. Um, and then I say, okay, well, I do have things like smokescreen. There's a couple of new defensive abilities that do make them kind of tougher than they might be. And so I say, cool, this is a stratagem that really can only defend against one or defend, defend one unit per turn. So if, I, if I'm even thinking about taking a gladiator, I'm definitely not thinking about taking two, right? I know I need to save that stratagem to keep that one alive, things like that. So there's multiple kind of layers of it like unfolding. Um, the psychic powers are a huge, huge thing now. You know, when do you need um, death hex or null zone or things like that? Um, that that really, really does matter. Yeah, uh, 100%. I'm glad you used the Space Marine example internally within a Space Marine Codex. Because uh, Space Marine players, you know, there are more than just White Scars and Salamander Space Marine players, right? <laughs> uh, there, you know, and so it, it is important to uh, look at the internal balance of a codex as well as two, especially if you want to kind of break from the mold. Uh, Brandon and Scari, same question. I, I guess, well, Brandon, same question. So I couldn't agree more in terms of you need to know what the meta is before you really set out to use your list. Um, of course, you always need to make it take all comers. So if someone takes... 250 orc boys you're not going to get tabled you're gonna or you're gonna be able to score points you're not just gonna lose um or if someone takes five imperial knights then you're not gonna lose just because you didn't bring enough anti-tank so yeah there's these edge cases you still need to be prepared for but primarily if there's a list that's 40 percent of the meta or there's a model that's in 40 percent of the list or there's a unit like a death star in 40 percent of the list you should definitely start your list planning with what am I going to do when this is on the table? So for example, um, a very common thing I was seeing with local chaos players was noise Marines. So dealing with noise Marines is not easy because of their strange rules interactions where they shoot on death. Um, so if your army has more than 24 inch range on its guns, that helps a lot because you can stay out of range of most of their guns as you kill them. Or if you have one really hard-hitting and disposable melee unit and you can get it into melee with them, that can work too because they're going to gun down your melee unit, but it was kind of disposable anyway. So if you just show up and you don't know what that unit is and you see someone take 40 of them for some reason um, and you're not prepared for it, you're in serious, serious trouble. So plan ahead, figure out what's locally going to happen at whatever event you're going to if possible which is even better than the general meta because, hey, maybe in your local meta only one guy plays Space Marines and he's really casual. Uh, maybe a really good player is an Orc player and you need to play around that instead. So, I don't know. You, you want to be prepared for what you're reasonably expecting to face on the table. And again, going back into the math, you want to be like, okay, if I shoot this at that, what can I reasonably expect to happen? Shoot my list as built isn't going to be able to handle that unit at all. Can I play around it? Can I avoid it? Can I screen it out? Um, what is my plan before I even get to the table with dealing with this list? And if you start with that while you're building your army and understanding this new codex, then you'll be in pretty good shape because when you get to the table and you see that really common combination, you'll be like, oh, okay, I've already done this mentally in my head. I'm ready for this. Right on. Uh, Scarry. Yeah, Same no, question. I totally, I, I'm i going to echo what Brandon said. Um, however, something that I do a lot when it comes to, um, like, building or preparing for the meta is, you know, the meta changes, it goes up and down. So when I look at a codex, I tend to try and find elements in a codex that tackle the 
this the mission system more than anything. So, for example, you know, the Necron Codex, you know, you get the Necron Codex. I'm, not, you know, I'm not a Necron player. Like I have a good understanding of what Necrons can and cannot do. However, I definitely know that, you know, obsec is important. So, you know, then see, you know, the ability for the like almost the entire army, the entire army to gain obsec. Well, that like throws up some like not red flags, but that's going to throw up some interesting sort of like list dynamics for me without even like knowing about the book or understanding that hey like necrons might have a fantastic way of dealing or with the objective based mission there's also a really cool unit called the um psychomancer that has the ability to remove objective secured from units you know so there's something that you know in the objective based game i could see that sort of army doing very well in the meta so if I can see an army that has tools for the meta, or that's, that's going to have tools to deal with the meta, I tend to, um, I tend to, you know, be, I tend to plan for them better when then building my own list. Yeah, and actually, uh, I'm really glad that you mentioned that. Kind of like a bonus question. This is for any one of you three who want to answer it. Uh, what are some other things that you should look for in your codex in ninth edition specifically? Uh, that help play to the mission really well. So obviously Scarry mentioned OBSEC, which uh, if you don't know, Necrons get the ability to give all their units OBSEC, and then their OBSEC units count as double OBSEC, which is uh, outstanding. Um, but w what are some other things specifically, Adrian, Brandon, or Scarry, that people should look for in their codex that help specifically with 9th edition missions? Well, so a big thing that Oh, go ahead, Ren. With the new missions, I'd start with uh, what your custom secondary objectives are, if you have any of them. Uh, that might inform your list building, is, oh, I plan on taking this every game, so I need to plan around being able to achieve it. Yeah, that's a good point. Go ahead, Adrian. Yeah, thank you. Another thing that I'd always keep an eye out is, do they have any movement tricks? Uh, this is very much a movement addition, an objective mission, as was already mentioned, and so any army that can do strange or interesting or off-phase uh, movement abilities um, are really, really exciting to me. Yeah, I mean, that right is on. what made Yanari so powerful is bonus moves. Yeah, yeah, 100%. Oh, okay, all right. Um, uh, so before we move on, uh, we're going to go ahead and give a moment to briefly let our sponsors talk. So if you're on YouTube, you're going to see a YouTube ad. And if you're uh, listening on Spotify or Megaphone um, or any other place you can listen to podcasts audio only, you're going to listen to our regularly scheduled podcast episode. We're going to be back with breaking down every piece of a uh, codex, every section of a codex and what we look for in that codex right after this. Support for this podcast comes from Invent Together. According to studies, less than 13% of all inventors who hold a U.S. patent are women. Black and Hispanic college graduates patent at half the rate of their white counterparts. But we can fix that by increasing participation in innovation and patenting by underrepresented groups. It would quadruple the number of American inventors and increase annual GDP by almost $1 trillion. Invent Together is a coalition of organizations, companies, universities, and concerned citizens committed to ensuring that everyone has the opportunity to invent and patent. Because the more diverse the American patent system gets, the stronger and more successful our nation will become. What can you do to help diverse inventors patent and unleash economic opportunity? 
Find out at inventtogether.org. Learn more and take action today. This episode is brought to you by HP Instant Ink. No one is reading your mind, but HP Instant Ink knows when your printer is running low and sends you new cartridges, so you never have to think about ink. Save up to 50%. You'll pay less than $5 a month for ink and never run out again. Find out if your printer is eligible and enroll today at hpinstantink.com. Conditions apply. For details, visit hp.com slash Spotify. And we're back. All right. Now, we're going to break down a codex section by section. There's a lot to go through here. Uh, and so we're going to kind of table the roundtable discussion, and we're just going to kind of talk about what we like and what we look for most specifically out of every section in a codex. So I'm, I'm talking like the chapter tactics or the, the faction tactics, you know, the relics, stratagems, warlord traits, units. Uh, the units is going to take a long time. Um, and then uh, lastly, the objectives. And I, I guess we'll talk about the points when we talk about the units. Um, so first thing I want to talk about is the tactics. So the the faction tactics. This is, I think, the coolest thing uh, that GW has done, you know, in since I started playing 40k, that they gave every single faction something like chapter tactics, and they've done a really good job with it. They they've really opened up their design space and uh, have given new life and flavors to factions that were that really needed it. Um, so. What do you all look for in a specific faction tactic for your faction? Like, is is offensive output more important? Is defensive output? Is mobility? What do you what do you like there specifically? Maybe Scary. We haven't heard from you in a while. In terms of output, I think Just, um, yeah, yeah, like the the main like 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 chapter tactics and stuff like that um it just really depends on your faction like when i'm looking at like right now i think a big thing is mobility and sort of like staying power and i think that has a big impact on how you play so when i'm looking at that i'm looking for things that like give me the ability to stay on the table or stay on objectives longer and win the game by like mission parameters basically well, let's look at a faction that you that you are familiar with. I, at least I think you're familiar with them. Let's look at Dark Eldar and their faction tactics. Uh, they they do obviously they have their different rules than every other faction because they're special. Uh, but they do still have you know forms of faction tactics. Uh, what do you what did you gravitate towards immediately? What did you like in that codex, and why did you like that? Well, I think one of the things I gravitated to immediately was the like the Kabbalah Blackheart stuff. Um, and that was mainly because of Vect, really. And the fact that, um, you know, that stratagems were like a brand new thing in the edition and being able to just say no to something was like a game winning. And it still is. It's still really powerful. Yeah, I agree 100%. Um, Brandon Adrian. So I look at which one gives me the most just control. So, for example, again, we talked about uh, objective security in, in Necrons. Uh, in Orcs, I play Death Skulls because of uh, this, kind of the same ability that they can get objective secured in many different types of ways. Um, in Gene Stiller Cult, um, it's, it is things like Bladed Cog or Forearm Nipper before because they're, they're movement abilities, they're objective abilities, and they apply to a lot of the codex, right? So it gives me many, many tools to, to just kind of play the mission regardless of what my opponent is doing. That's a big thing for me. I, 
Uh, I'm not necessarily a defensive or an offensive player, but what I do try to do is just say, okay, what's the mission? What do I need to do? And things like objective controlling and movement are things that you can do uh, in many ways, uh, regardless of what your opponent is trying to do. Um, it's not so much about the killing potential for me. Right on. Brandon, do you have anything else to add to both of those? I really like Adrian's way of phrasing it. Um, how, however my opponent is playing the game, I want to have a plan to win. Um, so even if I'm about to be tabled because their list perfectly counters mine, I want to build a list that uh, has plays so I can keep scoring points and stay in the game um, and maybe even slow down how quickly I'm tabled so I have a couple models left at the end instead of none as long as they're still scoring me points. That's all great. Um, and I guess we're talking about play style now. So I think especially in ninth edition when we're seeing weapons get upgraded um, but not necessarily too many defenses yet, um, I'm getting the sense that unless you're running a bona fide Death Star, so something that has every buff your codex can put into the toughest unit, uh, it's going to be very difficult to efficiently absorb fire into your army just because um, a layman rest battle tank getting shot by four multi-meltas, that's eight shots now, for example. Um, there's not too many models in the game that are going to be able to be super, super tough. Um, so there's a couple approaches. One, if you can make your models super, super tough, great. Go ahead and do that. You can swarm the table with them. But for me, when I look at unit abilities, I want units that can fire indirectly, that can make 24-inch plus charges reliably, that can come in out of deep strike reserve and do a lot of damage, um, that can start on the board and hide really efficiently behind a limited amount of terrain and still reach out and participate. Uh, units that can move really fast and have obsec. Um, units that can um, remove enemy obsec units from objectives really easily so I can contest objectives. I have all these ideas around, okay, limit my exposure, keep my units alive, preferably with terrain or reserves, and deal as much damage as possible on demand uh, to where I need it to be on the table. These are the abilities I'm looking for in Ninth Edition, just in general. That's that's a that's a really good succinct, uh, summary of that. And so, uh, speaking of abilities and moving, uh, I, I want to skip relics and warlord traits. As relics and warlord traits, they are next normally in a codex. However, uh, I'd like to talk about them when we talk about characters because I think characters, especially in ninth and eighth edition, define a codex more than all the other units. Um, and they also get access to relics and warlord traits. That's part of the reason why. So let's talk about stratagems now. There are so many good kinds of stratagems. There's there's uh, stratagems that affect your army as a whole. There are stratagems that specifically make a bad unit amazing. And then there's build-around stratagems that you have to build an entire strategy around. Think like deep-striking stratagems and charging out of reserve stratagems. And then there are stratagems that are just flat-out good. They offer a game-breaking thing like Vect, for instance. And so in regards to a, the stratagems that uh, Codex has... Which stratagems do you favor the most, and where? What do you like want out of your codex? What do you look for uh, out of the stratagems? So the big thing I look for in stratagems is uh, consistency. Um, I uh, absolutely number I, as one. many <laughs> as many gamers. I'm really superstitious. If I can fail a million rolls in a row, uh, I will. So what I mean by that is, you know, things like like Vect is is pretty close to being consistent but it has a big impact um things like in the, again in the new in psychic awakening for gene stealer cult um i can make my acolytes advance and charge 
guarantee. Um, whereas before it was always, okay, are you going to get psychic stimulus? You have to put yourself out there and then you can still fail it. So having that opportunity to fail is, is, is something I want to avoid. So getting the stratagem to actually get around that is a big deal. You know, in the new Harlequins, um, I can now have my three units of bikes, have one fire and fade back to be hidden, have one go into combat and then pay two CP to fall back, to fall back uh, behind, uh, terrain. And then the last one is super tanky because I also spend a stratagem to give them a three plus plus. These are all things that I can control and I can just guarantee happening because CP are, uh, you know, the resource in the game, the most, the most valuable one you can get. And so, um, that's what I look for. Enough that none of this like two up mortals. Maybe something will happen because uh, I will fail it. <laughs> and the thing I heard that you say, Adrian, that all uses mine is anything that gives you bonus actions out of phase. We're going to reiterate that's extremely powerful coming from a stratagem. Oh yeah, one hundred percent. You've seen like Seraphim uh, when they come down and they shoot immediately when they come down. Uh, that can be really strong. Um, you, you know, it's just. That's something that I like personally in my stratagems as well, too, is how many action, how many free actions, or I guess CP at cost of actions do I get out of my units? Yeah, when I'm looking at stratagems themselves um, specifically, actions and things like that are great, but I like, um, I love all the movement stuff when it comes to stratagems and whatnot. Anything that allows you to move extra or like, you know, cover distance on the table differently um is really really powerful in this edition especially like fire and fade for example is one of the strongest stratagems in the game and uh and if your army can do something like that uh, that's that's something i will gravitate towards another bonus move and i'll add anything that allows you to advance and charge also really reliable Anything that adds bonus dice to your charge to make it much more reliable, really good. Yeah, I feel like as a whole, as an addition, we've been kind of spoiled, or definitely Space Marine players. Um, it, you know, charges. I always thought the charge, the the dreaded nine inch charge, would be impossible. We'd never see you know units charging out of reserve and you know charging you after deep strike, and it's actually it's pretty common. It's it's something that I think most codexes have access to is the ability to charge unexpectedly. Um, not every codex. I'm not going to say, you know, it's a Tau don't have it for sure, but most codexes. But do. they wish they did. <laughs> uh, maybe. <laughs> I mean, uh, at this but... point, even guard can get reliable charges from reserves. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 I, I think I, I want to say every, almost every codex has something. Uh, they all do it differently. Uh, but but I want to say that almost every codex has the ability to get into charges reliably. That new Necron one is ridiculous. Beaming someone in from strategic reserve. I love that strat because it's so useful as a movement tool, as an objective tool, uh, as a charging tool when you need it to be. It's really exciting. You talking about with the scythe? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, that's really that's really good. The Necrons do have a lot of cool mobility things like that um, hidden kind of throughout their codex, but. Uh, in terms of stratagems, that's that's fantastic. That's gold. Uh, so now I want to talk about just very briefly the strategic objectives in Ninth Edition. So we only have two codexes: uh, Space Marines and Necrons with, with the object secondary objectives. Excuse me, I said strategic objectives. I meant secondary objectives. So they're pretty easy to evaluate. The if you can get fifteen points reliably, take it. Right. I feel like. All but one of them, with 
you know, are 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 not quite a guaranteed fifteen. Where where you know, I might not always take them every time, except for the the only one I think that's clearly the best is that space brain one that gives you basically a free point every turn plus you know more points that are basically free. Um, and and for those of you who play space brains, you know which one I'm talking about. <laughs> um, how important are are the secondary objectives for you now in ninth edition? No mercy, no respite. That's the space brain one. Um, they're so important. Um, and the reason the, the the ones in the book are not the best is also because of the way that they they compete with current like army builds, right? So no mercy, no respite is actually from the same category. It's um or sorry, it's oaths of moment. The category yeah. no mercy, and uh, that's the same category as while we stand we fight, which as we've seen from many events is kind of a uh, a great pick for space brains, right? We have very expensive single model characters. Uh, f- paired with lots of MSU. So your most expensive models end up being these things that actually don't have to stick their neck out there. So I did the same thing. I was like, okay, well, this is the most interesting one. But one of the really important things when looking at these secondaries is what slots do they actually fill? Um, Where are we sort of making up for this? and I build my list all around this. Um, I'm obsessed with engaging all fronts and other kind of movement-based ones. So that is that is the section where I actually will look at the data sheets and say, okay, where are my throwaway uh, speeders or you know jump infantry for raised banners and things like that? Uh, units that honestly they can run out, they can die. I don't care because if that's getting me you know 12 to 15 points in a game, that is literally the game. It doesn't matter if they die. Yeah. Yeah, that's fair. And evaluating the second objectives based off of their their um, I forgot whatever you call it, no mercy, no respite. Their overarching tree of objectives yeah. is probably the best way to go about evaluating those. Uh, not necessarily uh, just how how good they can score on their own, but uh, and you can also only take one faction strategy or faction secondary objective. You so you can't just go you know can't you know double dip and triple dip on a faction objective. Um, you can only pick one. So. It, can it can be a, make a big difference? Uh, all right, do Brandon and Scarry, do either of you want to add anything to that? I'll just I'll just uh, echo what um what was said. I I think that makes a lot of sense because a lot of times you're building a list with those secondaries in mind, you know. So switching them around might be a good thing. You just have to make sure that you sort of like build the list with that in mind, really. Okay. Yeah, I think we covered. All right. All right before we get to units uh, and warlord traits and relics and all that stuff, uh, the final thing I want to talk about is. Um, the, the, the army ability, I guess the army abilities, plural, because there's, there's, there tend to be two. There's two parts of the section for every codex. There's the army ability that you get for just being your faction and that everyone gets that no matter what. And then there's the ability that you get specifically for being a pure part of your faction, right? So for, uh, space marines, all space marines get you know, plus one attack on the charge, bolter drill, chapter tactics, uh, but they don't get their very specific doctrine tactics, like, um, unless they're, they are a peer of their faction, right? So ultramarines don't get the ability to fall back and shoot at minus one out of combat unless they're a peer ultramarines army, et cetera, et cetera. So necrons don't get it unless they, uh, they don't get command protocols unless they are a pure dynasty. Um, so, how how important are those to you? Do you put them in the same level as like the faction tactics and that you look for mobility and stuff like that? Or do you want those to be extra powerful or special because uh, half of them apply to your faction if you soup or if you start to add in allies? So just from experience, I just looking at 
Sisters, for example, which is the army that I play that actually gets all of this, um, their sacred rites are actually very, very important when building your list, especially because the primary um, the primary order you take with them is usually Bloody Rose. It's almost every sister's list has at least some Bloody Rose competitively. And the sacred rite of exploding sixes to hit in melee is just so amazingly good for Sisters Repentia, a unit that will be very common in Bloody Rose lists, that it makes it very difficult to build in allies and still maintain that efficiency. So you need allies that are really giving you something that you're missing um, that you couldn't have gotten while you're vanilla. It's not something you're just going to splash in. So in that case, it's very important. But if I was playing, for example, a pure Valorous Heart list, which is the much more defensive-oriented list, I don't think the Sacred Rites are as important because uh, their melee isn't what they're focused on. So in that case, yeah, throw in some allies if you really want them to um, to fill a niche that you're not able to fill as efficiently. Um, so it really depends. You just need to start with, do I really need this army-wide ability for the list that I'm building? And if the answer is no, go for it. But otherwise, some of these new abilities are so good, it's definitely worth staying pure for. Yeah, I, I agree 100% with that. Um, if you look at like the Necron Codex, for instance, for 9th edition as well, uh, the command protocols, although they are pretty cool, uh, they're a little unreliable. And more importantly, I think it, it'd be better for you to mix and match dynasties with your Necron you know, Codex uh, instead of you know going pure for the command protocols, which I actually think aren't necessarily worth it, right? So <clears throat> I'd rather have like plus one charge melee Necrons and then just like double OPSEC warriors and a separate detachment, a Nihilok detachment or something, right? So um, th that is a very interesting way to look at it as well. Uh, Adrian and Scarry, do you want to you add anything else to that? I think that it's a nice way for Games Workshop to get us excited about playing like our mono factions. I think, I think it's, it's like an elegant way of doing it because some of them are strong, some of them are not so strong. But it's like a little bonus. Hey, if you want to play just this one faction, you get a bonus, you know? And I think I think that's that's nice. So I, I personally like the dynamic. I like the way that that works. And, um, and as codexes and as new books have been coming out, like, they've become more and more focused, right? Like, and I think they did kind of go a little overboard with some of the, like, original, like, Space Rain ones being like, if you're all Imperial Fists you get this really, really cool bonus, you know? And it's like, oh my gosh, this is ridiculous. But um, I think it's it, the intentions are, are, are good. And I think that, that they will become more and more relevant without being like crazy OP. Yeah, I think that's well said. Um, I think, you know, competitively speaking, I'm looking at any and all options, right? And so, yeah, if it's worth it to lose whatever that bonus is to get something better, then, then I think it's interesting. Um, but at the same time, uh, you know, we all love, you know, plastic toy men here. And so I think I'm happy to be encouraged to sort of work within a different type of box that's maybe more fitting with the narrative and the lore, which we're seeing that they're saying, okay, yeah, like, like Scary said, here's this little treat. Here's this thing that might, it's hopefully, I think they want it to be an, an incentive to go monofaction. And largely, I think it's being successful. So um, I'm totally good with that. I'm totally good with, you know, uh, the things that we're even starting to see with command structure and kind of forcing people to play within the narrative because, you know, we're still going to be as competitive as we can within those new restrictions. Um, and so more and more, I find myself just, yeah, going mono faction because I don't want to give up whatever that, that bonus is. 
Yeah, yeah. It, it is definitely easier to go mono faction now. Uh, you know, and, and they make allying, they make it so you lose, you can sort of lose a lot of really good stuff if you add in allies, uh, especially if you add in like soup allies and stuff. So, all right, uh, let's go talk about Warlord traits, relics, and characters, HQ slots specifically now. Uh, every time I try to talk about them individually, we always just end up talking about specific characters and units uh, and kind of just like combos and strategies and synergies instead. So I want to talk about what you all look for in your HQ slot. Um, what do you? What kind of combinations, warlord trait, relic combinations do you like? How much do you value a beat stick HQ combination? So like a salamander, you know, toughness, toughness bajillion, you know, smash captain uh, versus a guy who's who's like a buff bot, right? So so um, or like a cryptek who who is kind of just a Swiss Army knife. You can do different things with. So, do you, where, how do you like your characters? Uh, and then, what do you think are some of the best character combinations that you can get in Ninth Edition? There's really only two approaches that I use for characters, um, because I tend to shy away from characters who can solo armies by themselves, like maybe Gollum and or the Silent King. Um, so they're either going to be as cheap as chips because I just need them to do one little utility thing. Or they're going to be a buff ball where I'm going to put the chapter master on top of the lieutenant, on top of the apothecary, on top of the cha uh, chaplain, and just create this aura bomb in the center of my army. And that's kind of it. Like the melee, at least for the armies that I play, isn't as important. And I really want to keep the characters alive for their buffs anyway. So it's not unusual for me to just take the stock character and throw them in the list because all I want is the orders or the auras. Um, and just keep them as cheap as possible. What do you yeah, guys definitely. do? I definitely want to mirror what, what you're saying, Brandon. Um, I have a very similar approach. I'm not really about the beat stick characters. To me, the, the reason you take a beat stick or a smash captain equivalent, whatever, is because you need something that can hit hard and, and sort of perform this role. Um, and generally, I don't really look to characters to perform that role. Um, and so it's, yeah, what are HQ choices that can really create interesting and synergistic new combinations? Um, so the two that really come to mind for me are things like the Orc Warboss. You need the Warboss to be able to charge, and that is a huge addition to, to what you can do. You have this ridiculously long threat range. You can ignore morale, essentially, and so he himself isn't going to be the hammer, but the units that he's helping kind of throw into the enemy and do things, um, those are the hammers. And, and the other example I'm thinking of is the Harlequin Troop Master or the Shadow Seer, right? These are both uh, units that can absolutely, like, they can be beat sticks, like, especially with the new, the new Relic for Harlequins. I think that's great, but I'd rather just have them surviving the whole game, providing re full rerolls to into, you know, 15 bikes or 20, 30 troops and kind of get my value out of them through that and sort of unlocking more potential in the rest of the army rather than having them do it themselves, especially once they die. <laughs> I think that um, characters themselves have sort of morphed it from more of a, like, I'm going to do everything all the time and everybody's going to ride on my shoulders to, you know, being able to sort of build your list around using the bonuses that a character gives you more effectively, you know, um, like, for example, the reroll once to hit, reroll once to wound Archon supporting Ravagers. That was, like, his role. And you didn't put him in because he was good at anything else. He just made Ravagers efficient, right? And it's the same right now, but even more so. Especially when it comes to Warlord traits and Relics. I find a lot of the time what I'm looking for is, you know, 
a character that's going to add a lot to my army based on maybe a warlord trade or relic that might be exclusive to them like uh an ancient for example you make him a chapter like a uh a chapter ancient and can give him a warlord trait to make everybody obsec right uh within range and we talked about how powerful that is but i wouldn't be taking like an ancient unless i was you know, building like an army of a bunch of elite units like Blade Guard Veterans or Sanguinary Guard, and I wanted to make them all obsec, right? Like, unless I'm doing that, then it might not be as relevant if I was running a bunch of intercessors, right? Or something like that. So it's really about kind of like picking and choosing based on this, like what you need for your list. And, uh, and the, I think the worst thing you can do is spend too many points on characters. I think you should pick like, you know, three or four characters at most that basically synergize with your list. And maybe a couple of relics that enhance that synergy, and then kind of go from there. Yeah, one hundred percent. And and to kind of counter all of you, I'm, I'm a big fan of Hero Hammer. I, I love my beat stick solo badasses who who you know uh, crutches, if you will, um, who <laughs> I, I, you know <laughs> either perform really well or you know, they get mind shackle scarabed and die in turn one. Um, but Besides that, I think that there's a disparity or there's a difference between named characters and customizable, you know, uh, generic characters that I kind of look for as well, too. So I generally stay away from named characters um, unless they're absolutely insanely amazing, right? But uh, overall, even if a named character has like a really good ability, like uh, Nemesaur Zandrek from the Necrons, right? He's got the ability to just shut down a stratagem, just like boom and he might be the worth the points just for that ability alone yeah because it's uh, not just know. a stratagem this is on a side note not just a stratagem that time but it shuts off the stratagem for the entire battle round so yeah, if somebody yeah, uses a reroll you can just be like no reroll for the rest of the turn for you and that is that's <laughs> going to be really really good yeah yeah 100 percent. and and um he, he he's not super expensive. He, he's not cheap. He's you know he's over a hundred points, uh, which I think is where the kind of barometer is for me. Is if a character is under a hundred points and is a generic character, that means it can take a warlord trait and a relic, so it's highly customizable. I'm absolutely looking at that character. Uh, whereas uh, you know a character that that's over a hundred points, he better be you know god, right? He he better be amazing. If one hundred thirty points, you better be a smash captain. You better be soloing knights, or I'm not. I'm not looking at you, right? So, uh, with named characters, they kind of all fall into that over a hundred points. Like, what what can you do for me category? Um, whereas I think that overall, the customizability, as you guys all said, the customizability of a generic character is by far the the thing I'm looking for the most. Too is what are the warlord trait and relic combinations that I can get? Can I make this guy a buff bot? Can I make him uh, even a beat stick? Um, a cheap beats the character is very very powerful. Uh, we we see them being used all the time. Uh, so even if uh, we don't necessarily value value them that highly, the community does generally. So, anyways, I do stay away from new characters though. Uh, kind of just in general as a rule of thumb. It's funny you say that, public, because so you're an Ultramarine player. I, right? I run a lot of named characters. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's that, and then also the fact that so you're like you you like the beats the characters and. It, overall, the new Space Brain Codex in particular, well, both of them really, have, have really made this clear stance that, that most of these characters will be to buff other things, right? You can't get the rerolls on the captains. They're not great to just throw in and do melee, with the exception of Mr. Bobby G, whose rerolls affect uh, core, 
and characters. And so he's sort of the one exception where it's like, no, 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 you can actually play him as a hero and you can take another hero with him. Um, that is really different than pretty much every other HQ in, in uh, that and all the other supplements. Uh, so I just thought that funny. Yeah. Oh, also, I may take named characters. Remember, I don't win a lot. So don't don't follow my example. I'm a I'm a huge Ultramarine sucker. If GW releases a named Ultramarines character, and I like him, I'm going to use him, even if he's trash. <laughs> I, like uh, I think the Ultramarines have more named characters than some codexes have HQ slots. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> that is also true. So the, I think that's Space Marines like, oh, I got a named character. <laughs> yeah. You just have like a two, like so many options. You know, you go and it's like another page of options. <laughs> one final thing and then uh and then we'll move away from here is where do you evaluate now shooting characters so because i remember before previous editions a shooting character was basically a meme right you, you had this character that could shoot even if they could shoot like eight shots you're like eh. you're like yeah you shoot well but you don't do anything else uh, you, you know, you don't take up space. You're, you know, so where do you evaluate shooting characters now? Do, are they still kind of like meme characters, like think like the Necron Royal Warden or like uh, uh, the Scout Sergeant, who who is uh, uh, Italian, who's absolutely awful now because Scouts are no longer troop choices. Um, but where where do you evaluate shooting characters? So it depends. Are they a character with a relic plasma pistol that's a twelve inch range? I mean, probably then. Probably not worth it. I mean, the relic weapons that I've seen that are ranged for characters are kind of a waste of time. Um, spending the command point on it just really isn't worth it. Most of the time, those characters need to be moving and advancing anyway, so what are you doing shooting them? But there are exceptions. I mean, the one that immediately comes to mind for me is Talon Master and Samael combo, because they're more or less just character land speeders that can zoom around the table shooting and not be targeted. Um, especially if they're next to a vehicle that has to be killed before they can even be targeted. That's a big deal. And their firepower is nothing to sniff at, and they still bring some really solid auras to the table. They're really, their only weakness is that for their cost, they're absolutely made of tissue paper, uh, and they will fold to a stiff breeze. But again, they're characters, and as long as you have units in front of them, they're untargetable. So that I really think that if you're going for a ranged character, that should be their primary role is their strength and ranged. Otherwise, it's just icing on the cake. It's like, oh, I, I guess you have a plasma pistol that I have to take, whatever. I'm probably never going to shoot it. But then you have on the other on the other side stuff that's like a shooting character that does an incredible amount of damage and can be buffed like Mr. Deathguard Flamer Bro, who literally goes around and just torches absolutely everything with his like crazy bile now, spitter thingy. His weapon's an assault weapon too, isn't it? Yeah, he's going to advance yeah. around. He moves. He can shoot. He can, and then so it doesn't even slow him, him down. Like, gave him a bunch of um, gave him a bunch of buffs. So it's like longer range and more strength. So in that sense, a shooting character can do like work. You know what I mean? Kind of like you know, and he can hide behind a screen of uh, like chaos spawn and whatnot. But I wanted to really discuss uh. The like you used the warden as an example, and then you sort of snickered, Pablo. And I'm gonna say that he's a good character. The, yeah, the neck, the, the warden, like, but I was gonna use that as a relevance to the fact that it's he might be a shooty character, but he might have a really cool rule or buff that 
just synergizes well once again with your army. Like for example, the the warden allows you to pick a Necron core unit or whatever to fall back and still shoot and charge on that turn, which means you can't tie up these giant blocks of Necron warriors or immortals or you know Lich Guard or whatever it is. And that alone, so yeah, like I don't care if he shoots or not, he's doing more for my army than just having a like a gun that shoots, basically. Yeah, it's completely fair. Uh, um, it, I, I feel like at this point, when we're talking about shooting characters, we're like, okay, you're good at shooting, but, you know, like you, Brandon used the Talon Master as an example, there's a really good melee character, really fast buff bot as well. Uh, and then the Royal Warden, you know, is, is a good shooting character, but that ability to fall back, shoot, and charge is, is amazing. Um, whereas in, in my experience, pure melee characters are actually really popular, but uh, like a pure shooting character is like not even close to as popular. Yeah, we see very few of them nowadays. I mean, many of these units that we just mentioned, even like the Flamer Boy, I take the Flamer Boy purely for the fight last ability. The fact that he has an good. insane weapon is like um, tons of icing, of course, but it is still icing on the cake. So I think a lot of them fit that role. If you want to talk about pure shooting units and why they're not as interesting anymore, talk about the... Uh, the Vindicare assassin that pretty much doesn't work anymore because he so all these other shooting uh, characters that we talked about want to stay with the unit they want to stay obscured even under the new rules they want to be untargetable uh and then you have these like rando shooting characters that really can't survive the new character targeting rules that can't move because they'll get penalties and they just aren't well adapted to this current edition um and so i think they're relatively rare but they are like the only instances of like pure shooty units uh if the relic shock attack gun was still here we might be still having that conversation about him too so <laughs> so funny like a guys guys like no no you stay there don't move yeah <laughs> you have a heavy weapon <laughs> he's like this assassin that like wants to like have guys around him to hide in so he can hide in this crowd of like guardsmen it's like all right uh all right all right well, well i feel like this is a topic we can talk about forever on so let's talk about units now uh, there's a ton of a ton of ton of options here elite choices are super important because uh you, you do have more elite slots and detachments than uh, specifically battalion detachments um, than other slots, and, and a ton, there's a ton of elite slots in every single faction. Um, even the Necron Codex, a couple of their units went over to elite um, specifically, and they got more elite choices as well. So the elite slot's very important, the troop slot's obviously important, um, and uh, wh what do you kind of look at when you look at like generalities for units and slots? Um, what do you like out of units specifically? Do you like, you know, there's, this is actually, I'm realizing this is probably a huge topic. This is probably going to have to be a separate episode, but I did say we'd cover units. So brief, brief things that you love about units and codexes when you're evaluating the codex. I'll start here. I think um, what I look for is just versatility and role, basically. Like, what can this unit do for me on the table? Is it a like? Does it do one thing, or does it do does it do what does it do one thing well? Does it do two things well? Um, you know, and and I'm kind of looking for that value in in that unit, basically. Yeah, I mean, um, once you understand all the regiment bonuses and uh, faction abilities and stratagems and warlord traits and relics and psychic powers, and they give you a direction. Then you're just looking at the efficiency of those units and carrying out some of those things. So, 
for example, if you have an ability that on a six to wound causes a mortal wound with a certain weapon, you might look into your codex and go, well, which unit can take the most number of those weapons? Um, and then, okay, that unit's really attractive if I want to use that ability. Is it worth it? Is it efficient enough? You have to figure that out. But at least that's where I start is, oh, that's a cool ability. Who uses it the best? Okay, this unit. Do they use it efficiently enough? Yes or no? And go from there. Uh, I, w- I will say when evaluating units in a codex, the troop choice is probably the unit slot that I, I put the most weight on. Uh, and that's just because a, a good troop, a good buffable troop, and what, what I mean by good troop is a troop choice that can that can efficiently kill, uh, that can has reasonable survivability, and most importantly has access to a lot of buffs within the codex. So think like intercessors, right? So you could make an intercessors veteran intercessors. You could give them a ton of various stratagems and you know reroll auras and buffs, and then on top of that, you could you can customize them. You can give them thunder hammers on their sergeants. You can give them stalker bolters or regular bolters last edition. So the intercessor is a really, really good troop choice. And the reason why it's important and why it makes or breaks the codex is because, especially in 8th and 9th edition, you could spam that unit, right? And so if you look at previous editions, units with really good troop choices, like think like Eldar with jet bikes, the Windrider jet bike spam, uh, Chaos Cultists back when they were, you know, cheap, and also Conscripts as well back when they were really cheap. Uh, and and fearless, uh, a good troops choice absolutely to me makes or breaks uh, codex. And if you don't have good troop choices, uh, your codex is already at a disadvantage compared to other codexes. Yeah, I'm really looking to fill out rules when I'm picking units, uh, and it, it definitely encapsulates a lot of things that you guys are saying. So uh, I won't be too much of an echo chamber. But um, yeah, do I have some units that can hold objectives? Do I have units that can get onto an objective quickly? Do I have ones that are going to be scoring specific object- objectives or sorry, ex- uh, specific secondaries and things like that? And so that very quickly starts to fill it out. And then I'll say, okay, well, I have you know X amount of points on top. Where where am I having the most trouble? Um, solving different solutions. Is it to killing tanks? Is it mobility? What is it? And then, and then I'll kind of fill it out from there. Um, yeah. Right on. All right. That's it. I feel like there we're missing a specific part of a codex the section. Um, maybe the crusade rules. Does anyone have any? What do you look for in your crusade rules, ever gentlemen? Well, when I'm doing my crusade, I make sure that I wear my thinking cap. I really love the name generators. If uh, if you don't have good names, your name generator, I'm just going to throw that codex away. It's not, it's not worthy. <laughs> this is true. This is the gold standard. <laughs> By the way, Crusade is really fun, and if anybody hasn't tried it yet, you totally should. Crusade is actually... I played one Crusade game finally. Just 500 points on Tabletop Simulator. It was my very first Tabletop Simulator game. Um, Great way to start. It was not, yeah. it was not <laughs> I'd say play Crusade once you get your codex, because they make them makes them... A, a thousand times better and more exciting because it's awesome. Right on. Uh, all right. Uh, cool. So that's it for the uh, the main topic of the episode. Uh, for those of you who stuck around this long, thank you so much for listening. Uh, and if you like the content, head on over to our Patreon, patreon.com slash chapter tactics. Helps keep the light on. Uh, patrons get access to cool stuff. They get access to uh, Discord community, a Facebook community. They get to uh, access to sometimes when I get a chance to record uh, premium, you know, patron-only content. And also, most importantly, they get to win cool prizes. This month, I'm giving away uh, for the month of October. I'm going to be giving away a Necron or a Space Marine thing 
whichever one you prefer. If you don't play those factions, we'll see. And I also haven't decided what I'm giving away. I think it's just going to be like uh, like a $100 like shopping spree for a faction of your choice. That sounds about right. Uh, for Necrons and Space Marines specifically, probably not at this point. Uh, but yeah, so if you sign up for patrons at the end, we'll announce that winner uh, for November 1st. Um, so if you want to, you know, come, if you want to get uh, an entry into that, just $5 a month. Also, you get to ask us questions that we answer live at the end of every episode, which is what we're going to be doing right now. So Adrian, Brandon, and Scary, are you ready? Born ready. Okay. <laughs> All right. Uh, patron Tim wants to know with a question I think we already answered, but I'm going to ask it anyways. What section of the book do you turn to first? I've heard many say stratagems, but do you visit points first? The very first thing you turn to. Stratagems. Points are important, but they take a lot more to understand. The coolest character for me. Definitely stratagems. I'm old school. I just go from the beginning to the end because I need to learn anything, everything anyway. <laughs> All right. So Scry goes <laughs> very first page fluff. <laughs> All right. Uh, patron Evan wants to know, while everyone is still doom and gloom over how powerful the Marine Codex is, can you state with a couple of examples how other factions can not only beat them, but also outmatch them? Ooh. I think this is a good Adrian question. Oh, gosh. <laughs> um, Marines hate mortal wounds. They actually have less uh, answers for them than ever now that they lost uh, the psychic power that does that. So, you know, I know uh, burn bombs make them real mad. Any kind of mortal wounds are great. Um, and then also just remember, you don't have to kill them to win the game because uh, you probably won't be able to. All right. Does anyone have anything else to add to that? That actually that was brilliant. Adrian answered it perfectly. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> thanks. Look at knowing that they're yeah, probably going to out efficiency you. Sorry, you go ahead. That's all I was going to say is exactly what Adrian said. If if you're playing a Space Marine army and you can't beat them on the table by tabling them, then don't try and table them. Just try and control the board enough to get more points. Yeah, one hundred percent. And uh, if you have any options that give you like AP, you know, mortal wounds, AP, you know, those are. Um, those are good as well because then you can just try and negate like their strengths basically, which is like high armor. Yep. All right. Uh, Ryan wants to know. Uh, well, this is just him talking. I don't see a question in here. I'd say Harlequins may jump up further in the meta, but as someone who plays them myself, I can say they are for a very niche type of player, so they only be seen here. But when they do it, will be quite the performance. So he's asking about um, basically what we're what kind of like lists are we going to see for the top players run so like um what is john lennon going to do to replace his grab devs now that space marines came out and stuff and so um basically where do you where do you kind of see lists going in a direction now with space marines and necrons you know hitting the board uh do are we going to see more of kind of like the old eighth edition style um you know one big shooting unit surrounded by a bunch of obsec cheap bodies or are we going to see kind of like the normal Space Marine stuff, which is just elite, efficient points units, or are we going to see a shift to more objective securing? I think the Space Marine book isn't going to change that much, to be honest. You're just going to see units that were already starting to be very popular continue to be popular, as well as, you know, just people get creative with using the units in different ways. I think right. we're going to see some bigger, tougher elite units, you know, we're going to have units of five eradicators, five uh, plate guard, five aggressors, all resing, super tough with obsec. That's uh, yeah. at full health. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I'm I'm planning on um, being able to. You have to 
building my list going down the road and planning on being able to deal with five or six of those tough Primaris equivalent units as well. So that's the thing to build is uh, we expect going forward that you should be able to finish off a tough five-man unit of Space Marines in one turn. Yes. All right. Uh, Patron Kelsey wants to know, at what point in the spoiling process do you start purchasing or planning on borrowing models? Uh, It looks like Dark Eldar might get some stuff spoiled this Saturday. Uh Uh-oh. Uh, I don't know what Kelsey knows. Um, because stuff tends to sell out. Should I pick up some Venoms or other supplemental units now? That's actually a really good point. Uh, for those of you who might not know, supply lines with Rejevio are, are really bad right now. Uh, Grey Knight, Strike Squads, and Terminators were sold out for more than six months. Uh, you know, we didn't get our shipment of Grey Knight, Terminators, and Strike Squads from GW until like August. Uh, and even then, I think, I, I don't know, I, I don't want to say that they're sold out now. I'd, I'd have to look. But the point is, is that. In this day and age, right now, we're we're buying more than more models than what GW is producing, specifically for the best models. So, like when the Thunderfire Cannon was all the rage, the Thunderfire Cannon was sold out very frequently and very quickly. And so, I, I think that's a very valid point uh, for Kelsey. Where's the balance there? Because obviously, you don't want to buy, you know, something that's really really strong that turns out to be not so great later on because of the meta shift. I think buy things that you know you're going to like regardless. You know, we've seen especially in 8th and then probably in ninth that, you know, what goes around comes around. Uh, things are going to come in and out of fashion. Things are going to get uh, uh, overpowered, nerfed, fixed, whatever. So at the end of the day, if you enjoy the models, then that's that really is, even as a, and I'm speaking as like a competitive meta chasing kind of person that that ultimately is the most important. So if you, if there's a model you're thinking about and you think it might sell out because of these things, that's the reason to get it, not just because you know, it's going to be the new hotness. No, I have to, I have to agree 100%. As somebody who's played the game for a very, very long time, things that are good come and go, but if you collect things that you enjoy or that you really like, um, ultimately, you know, it, like, that's 10 times better and cheaper for you in the long run. Because sometimes a unit like a Venom, like your example, is really good. And then sometimes the Raider is really good. And it just depends on the ebb and flow of the game and the addition and you know things like that. So so I, I'd say not don't worry about it too much. Just collect something that you're gonna enjoy collecting and painting and and that sort of thing. Uh, I will say that there are core units for factions that are pretty much always good to have. Uh that go beyond the just I wanna have this for fun. Um think like like uh <clears throat> scarabs for necrons scarabs have just across the board as far as long as necrons have been okay and playable scarabs have also been kind of you know a good a good pickup a good choice uh space marines have a ton of uh, units i think that blade guard veterans and outrider bikes i think they're probably safe pickups for the few for the foreseeable future um i would have guessed aggressors but aggressors did get nerfed so it is kind of unpredictable meta chasing um but there are there are units that you just you pick up and they're just they just always seem to be good. Windrider jet bikes are another great example. Harlequin, uh, if you play Harlequins, they're uh, Skyweaver bikes. Those are also just always really good so far. Every edition, they you know even when Harlequins have been bad, they've been you know solid. So, um, all right. Uh, Patron Brett wants to know how do you decide to get on a codex that isn't so obviously great? So uh, a, a tier two or a tier three codex. Um, I would think Admic would follow this from the eighth to end of eighth and as as being underplayed. To, um, but with potential. Uh, so if I'm, I'm going to go and answer this one just because I'm currently kind of in this transition. 
Uh, the reason why I decided to go with Necrons over Space Marines was because I played Space Marines for so long. I've been playing them since since I started playing Warmer 40K, and I've never kind of switched away from them. Uh, but I really wanted to learn how to play the new edition with kind of like a fresh start, right? So when the edition announced, I, I kind of knew I was going to play a different faction, but I didn't make the decision yet. And then when I saw the Silent King in particular, it really showed me that GW was was going to, you know, flesh out the Necron Codex and give it things that I think would last throughout the entire edition. Now, I don't know what, what tier they're going to be, um, but they look like a holistic faction that looks like it, they're going to have answers to deal with anything, right? So they don't have glaring weaknesses like um, Tau might have in, like, close combat or, uh, you know... Um, another faction might have right so they just look like a good faction could be wrong though they could be bottom tier by the end of the year and i could have you know wasted all this time and effort on a necron army for nothing but the thing that keeps you motivated is that you're a big fan of the army lore and the models and the playstyle. i don't know anything about the army lore really i just barely learned who the void dragon was because you were excited about the silence yeah yeah i mean i'm I, i'm actually i really love the lore but um, I've always been a big Imperium fanboy, so uh, if it, you know if it doesn't have to do with with uh, Calgar punching, this is true by the way, this is canon. Uh, Calgar punching a gigantic Goss Sentry pylon with his fist to rotate it to shoot at a Necron fleet. I have no idea what the the Xenos faction does or the Chaos faction for that matter. Anyways, that I, I'm looking forward to it though. I did buy that new Necron book, the the fluff book that just came out. The infinite and beyond i don't know the, the one trays in in it uh it looks really good so i'm looking forward to learning more about the fluff but um i definitely did not get into necrons for fluff reasons probably should have but anyways do, do any of you have anything else to add to that i think we covered cool. it all right uh patron shay wants to know what is some advice to a newer player on stratagem evaluation so real quick hot take one advice for a new player on uh, stratagems it doesn't have to be necessarily evaluation so we did kind of cover that i think one of the biggest things to remember is if your stratagem is only useful because it's useful on a specific unit um maybe the unit is worth it even though the stratagem is really really cool just sort of like make a judgment call on whether or not the unit is going to be good or useful in your army, and don't just take a unit because they have a cool stratagem, just for the sake of having a cool stratagem. Hmm. Alright. I mean, the only other thing I can think of is um, don't evaluate your stratagem in a vacuum. See if uh, the stratagem's ability can be paired with other abilities in your codex. So... For example, maybe your stratagem makes your melee unit hit harder. That's great. But how is your melee unit going to get there? Maybe there is another stratagem that also is required to get into melee, or a unit that can get into melee easier than others. So, I don't know. Take a more holistic approach, number one. Number two, try and actually work out how much CP you're going to have during the game and what you reasonably expect to spend that CP on so you don't build an army with a bunch of units that are super high intensity cp burners and on turn two you're out of cp already or turn one for that matter so um yeah plan accordingly like 
maybe you want to reserve some CP for very utilitarian abilities like interrupting in combat, which is super powerful to just have the CP available to do that because it will change how your opponent plays. So I'd err on the side of using fewer stratagems to start if you're a new player than using all the stratagems and then running out of CP. All right. Finally, patron David wants to know, aside from the obvious, you know, lots and lots of playing, how do you approach learning a new army? Now, I'm going to direct this question over to Adrian and then segue it to a Tabletop Titans plug. Adrian and Brian, you, you both play a ton of new armies constantly, and I imagine there's going to be plenty of times, you know, where you have a battle report and you have to learn the army in the battle report, <laughs> you know, pretty quickly. Uh, I know I've done battle reports. So how do you approach learning a new army? Yeah, totally. It's a great question. Because, um, yeah, we do end up playing three or four armies each a week. Um, what big thing is, um, it's okay to, you know, really prep and make cheat sheets for yourself. You know, so there's a million stratagems. Um, you make your army, you come to the table and, you know, just type out or write out, uh, you know, these are the key stratagems. This is how many CP they are. If you're very psychic heavy, you know, if, uh, if it's a chaos army in particular, this is something that's super useful. And, um, it's okay to bring those and use those in your game and it's going to help things go much faster for both you and your opponent and eventually you'll, you'll find that you you stop needing them um and then the second thing is uh as we mentioned earlier in the episode there's lots of abilities that are similar between armies right so you can start to think about things that act similarly be be aware of the way that they might be different in your army but you can if you can start to think of these core things as being kind of similar between them that really helps you say well this is actually like this thing in space brains i know how to play that so i know how to play this or etc Right on. All right, there you go. That's that's some great sound advice from a true industry professional. Adrian, if they wanted to watch you learn a new army and play it a week later, where can they find you? Ooh, you can find us over on YouTube at Tabletop Titans. We also have a Discord, which is uh, live and, and thriving. So come on, say say hi. We do live games uh, Thursday and, and Saturday, and then another two, uh, Tuesday one for our premium members. So come check it out. All right, and then Scary. If they love your sultry tones, which I know they do, they listen to this podcast. You, you're a co-host. You've been on plenty of times. But for remind, to remind all those people again who are maybe new listeners, where can they listen to more of your beautiful voice? So you can go onto YouTube, or you can always find me on The Art of War, where uh, we're doing c- content all the time, every week. All right. And then finally, Brandon, you didn't have any plugs last week. This week, I would like to plug something for you you don't mind. So Brandon uh, recently was a part of a Facebook group that I just joined called Fit for 40K or Fit 40K. Um, I'm not sure who created the group. I believe it was... It was uh, the best Adam. general, Adam Abramowitz. Yeah, Adam Abramowitz. Um, and uh, Brandon is in the group. We've had a we had a nutrition health, nutritional health uh, episode earlier, um, coming up on a year ago almost, uh, where you know where we talk about you know nutritional health with Stephen Box and Brandon Val, um, it was a really good episode. So I'd like to plug that Facebook group if you're a 40k player looking to no longer be uh, an unfit person, which uh, I am. Um, you know, I I get I try and you know get into that group if you can. I don't know if it's closed to the public or not, or but fit 40k. Well, I think if you want in, um, all you have to do is talk to Adam Adam Abramovitz on facebook and uh if you play 40k and you listen to this podcast and you want to get in shape i think that's all you need right on perfect all right and then brandon do you have any plugs really 
I've still got my Facebook group on uh, Astro Militarum or Imperial Guard. And if you send me a fr friend request and a message on Facebook, I can add you to that group as well. Perfect. Right on. How do how does your group feel about Astro Militarum right now in 9th edition? We just started discussing some lists from this weekend that uh, won local RTTs that are pretty innovative. So uh, I'm excited to see what these guys have done and uh, definitely gave me some ideas. Right on. All right. That is today's episode. Thank you for sticking around for these almost 90 minutes. As always, you are the best listeners in the world, and have a good one.